If God is for us, who can be against us? Pastor Xavier Reese with this assuring simple truth. David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. Became great for the Lord was with him, it says. Mark that well. You will become great if the Lord is with you. He was strong until he trusted in his own flesh, the scripture says. Until he trusted in himself. As long as you are with the Lord, he'll be with you. And when you leave the Lord, he will not be with you. Very, very clear in scripture. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The transition of power in our nation fortunately doesn't come at the point of a gun, but through the democratic process of an election. However, many political turnovers throughout history haven't occurred so peacefully, and such is the case with David assuming the throne of ancient Israel. And despite the rocky and sometimes violent beginnings of uniting the northern tribes of Israel with Judah, David's obedience in placing the Lord at the center of his rule allowed God to prosper the nation. Let's pick up today's Simple Truths character study as Pastor Xavier gets underway. David, the man anointed king. We're going to look at three things. First, David's character. Second, David's covenant. And thirdly, David's coronation. Let's begin with David's character here in 2 Samuel chapter 1. David had just returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites the third day. And here's this man. He comes, he prostrates himself. And uh, he's demonstrating grief. Mourning to an extent. He told David he had escaped from the camp of Israel. In verse 4 he told David that Saul and Jonathan were both dead. Then the young man said, as I happened the chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on a spear. And indeed the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me again, please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me. But my life still remains in me. He says, So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I brought them here to my Lord. Now, you know how David felt about Saul. He knew he was his enemy, but he also knew that God would be the one to defend him. He would not touch God's anointed. The man, David, responded to the words of the Amalekite in verses 11 through 18. He and all the men of Israel tore their clothes and mourned as they heard the story. He asked the young man how it was that he did not fear to put his hand forth and destroy God's anointed. And so he ordered another young man to strike and kill the Amalekite, declaring that his own words had testified against him in verse 15. When you get to verse 17 on down to 27... David declared Saul and Jonathan to be the beauty and mighty of Israel despite Saul's injustices towards him. David's not being moved by bitterness or by anger anymore, by animosity. He's mourning genuinely here. He commands the daughters of Israel to weep over Saul, who clothed her in scarlet luxury and ornaments of gold. So he attributes a lot of Israel's prosperity to Saul himself. 
Verse 25, he acknowledges the fallen as mighty. Verse 26, he declares his distress of Jonathan, who was pleasant to him, and his love, wonderful, surpassing the love of a woman. What an incredible declaration. David is declaring to us and showing to us men that there is such a sweet fellowship that is available and very capable and very probable between men in the Lord that we can never accomplish apart from the Lord. When you get to chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, here we have David patiently waited for God to establish him on his throne. That is so important. Verse 1 says, It happened after this that David inquired the Lord, saying, Shall I go up? To any of the cities of Judah. And the Lord said to him, go up. David says, where shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So he inquires of the Lord. And the Lord tells him exactly where to go. What a lesson. So basic, so simple. He took his two wives and all the men who were with him. As well as their families. And in verse 4, he then was anointed king over the house of Judah. It says. But notice verses 8 down to 11. He still had one more obstacle. Abner. Saul's general had set up the son of Saul and made him king over Gilead. In verse 10, Saul's son's name was Ishbosheth, and he was 40 years old. Ishbosheth had reigned for two years over Israel, verse 10 says, for the house of Judah followed David. And in verse 11, he, David, reigned over Judah as king in Hebron for seven years and six months. So, The kingdom is divided at this point still. But David is resting in God. Easy lessons, real simple lessons. When when things aren't going the way you want them and you seem divided, rest in God. You strive to put things together, they'll always be fractured. You let God put them together, man, they're like crazy glue. They'll never fall apart again. He puts them together. Now secondly, you have David's covenant. Notice first in chapter 3, verse 6 to 21, Abner initiated the covenant to unite Judah and Israel. Abner sent messengers to David to make a covenant with him and bring all of Israel with him, to which David replied God would make a covenant with him, but one requirement was necessary, that he bring with him his wife Michael, the daughter of Saul. Remember, Saul had given her away and married someone else. He wanted her back. Look at all the injustice of man. I mean, Saul gave her away. He shouldn't have. So that hurt David tremendously. Now all of a sudden, she's married to this other guy. David's king. He's got two wives already. This guy is happy. He's the only wife he has. And he takes her from him. What a sad affair of torn lives and suffering due to man's abuse of power on both Saul's part and on David's part. Notice secondly, Abner is killed by Joab marring the covenant. Now you remember, Abner killed Joab's younger brother. He hasn't forgotten. So verse 29, David points the guilt on the house of Joab and proclaims a curse on his descendants. This guy's been with him all his life. Listen, why? Because it's righteous judgment. You dare not, you cannot cover up people who are treacherous, no matter if they call themselves Christians. Love covers a multitude of sins. Sins against you and they ask you forgiveness. You cover them and you drop them. He's not talking about covering somebody's sin who's openly and rebelliously hurting others. No. We do not cover those individuals. And God help us if we do. 
So he declares a curse on his father's house. Let there never fall from the house, verse 29, of Joab, one that has a discharge or a leopard or leans on a staff or falls on a sword or who lacks bread. Whoa, that's pretty heavy. Let's, let's, let's make it modern day. He has AIDS, who has a difficulty walking, one leg shorter than the other. And when he walks, did he fall under some construction heavy instrument? That's what he's saying. He's implying death. Why? Because the act and the deed was treacherous. And so in verse 30, David declares the reason why Joab and his brother Abishag killed Abner. It was due to his killing of their brother Asiel at Gibeon in battle. That's the real reason. It had nothing to do with the kingdom, the covenant, or anything else. Nothing at all. Now notice thirdly, verses 31 to 39. Abner is, uh, is mourned by David. Here again we have David's honorable heart. He commands Joab and all to tear their clothes and to gird themselves with sackcloth. And the king follows a coffin. He wept at the grave in verse 32. Verse 33 and 34, he sang a song of lament over Abner. Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your, nor your feet put into fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. He sang that song. Quite a song at a funeral, huh? He's proclaiming the deceased innocence, and he's declaring the guilt of those still alive. By the way, Abner was a cousin to Saul. He was related and so in verse 35, now, uh, David refused to eat food, so he took an oath until the evening. And then in verse 36 through 39, he cleared himself of any part of the treachery. You see, verse 36, the conduct of David pleased the people as evidence of his genuineness. Now all the people took note of it, and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. In verse 37, the actions of David caused the people to understand that he never intended to kill Abner. The words of David acknowledging Abner as a prince and a great man revealed his humility and honor. The overwhelming emotions of David were a witness by his confession of weakness over the matter. Though he had been anointed king that day, declaring the difficulty of the treachery of the sons of Zariah and that God would reward them according to their wickedness. He says, I can't handle these guys. These guys are just, they're self-will. They're stiff neck. They do their own thing. It's hard when you have people around you like that. Now notice, fourthly, when you get to chapter 4, Abner thwarted the covenant. Chapter 4, verse 1, uh, Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, at hearing of Abner's death, lost heart, and all of Israel were troubled also, because now all of a sudden his head man is gone. In, in verse uh, 4, Jonathan's son was living with Ishbosheth, and he was crippled due to his nurse dropping him as she fled when she heard the news that Saul and Jonathan had died. He was five years old at that time. And then you have a couple of characters here in verses 2 and 3, and also 5 through 8. Their names is Banna and Rechab. And they were captains of the troops of Abner. They were brothers. And they decided to assassinate Ishbosheth, decapitated him, and they gave David his head, declaring that the Lord had avenged David. <laughs> Once again, notice the response of David, verse 9 through 12. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, when someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought me good news, I arrested him and had him executed, Ziklag. 
the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house, in his bed, therefore shall I not now require his blood in your hand and remove you from the earth? So, here it is. They thought they were going to get a reward, so he told them a little story, and he said, now you fit that story. How much more? And so, he calls upon a young man to execute him, and he did, and he cut off their hands, their feet, hung them up. Pretty extreme, huh? You get an idea that um, God allows us to sense the, the horror of sin and the treacherous things that men do to each other. And that if they're not dealt with, then those men move on to do greater crimes. Somehow we've gotten into this mamby-pamby love that putting people to death for capital crimes is mean. How about the victim? How about the person who's destroyed for life? We've seemed to have forgotten that. Shortly before his death, the Duke of Burgundy was presiding over the Cabinet Council of France. A proposal was made by the minister that would violate a treaty, but would secure important advantages for the country. Many good reasons were offered to justify the deed. The Duke listened in silence, and when all had spoken, he closed the conference without giving approval. Placing his hand upon a copy of the original agreement, he said with firmness in his voice, Gentlemen, we have a treaty. Those are rare men. David's covenant was bent on honor. He honored it. The Bible says that our yea should be yea and our nay, nay. You don't need to swear on a stack of Bibles. You don't need to swear on your mother's grave. Just say, yes, I'll be there. No, I can't. Third and last, David's coronation. This goes from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 6. Now verse 1, all the tribes of Israel pledged their oneness with David. Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Verse 2, all acknowledge God's choosing of David. They knew even when he was under Saul, he was the one who led Israel in and out. They knew that God had called them to shepherd and rule over Israel. Now notice how God is bringing this to pass in his time. Any of you ever try to get ahead of God or to try to do the work of God? <laughs> Let him do it in his time. Secondly, verse 3 through 5. Israel made David king over Israel now. Verse 3. All the elders came to Hebron, which had great significance by making the covenant with David there and anointing him king in Israel. Abraham built an altar in Hebron. Genesis 13. Abraham's name changed at Hebron. Genesis 17. All the patriarchs were buried in the cave of Machpelah at Hebron, except for Rachel. One of the refuge cities was at Hebron, Joshua 20, verse 7. Notice verses 4 and 5. David did not strive to attain the kingdom, but rested in the Lord to do it in his own time. Verse 4. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, till he was 70 years old. Forty years he reigned. Forty is a biblical generation. Verse 5. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven and a half years. At Jerusalem, verse 5 still, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. But notice that was God's timing. David rested in God for God to remove Saul and bring about the kingdom in his time using character that was genuine reputation. A reputation that is not based on character is, is a bad reputation. It's a, it's a hypocritical reputation. There's a lot of people that have a seemingly good reputation. 
But that's because people don't know them. If your reputation is based on character, your reputation is worthless. For your reputation to be honorable, genuine, it must be based on character. If not, it's big fluff. That's all it is. David was first anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. David then was anointed a second time in Hebron by Judah in chapter 2 verse 4 here. And now the third time in chapter 5 verse 3 by Israel. David is king. Notice 30. Chapter 5 verse 6 through 16. Israel and David conquered Jerusalem. In verse 6 through 7. David went to expel the Jebusites from the city of Jerusalem, but they insulted him, saying that even if he sent his men, uh, blind and lame people could stop him from taking the city. <laughs> In verses 8, David offered the office of, his, of a chief captain to whoever would climb up the water tower, the shaft, and defeat the Jebusites and, and take over Jerusalem. First Chronicles eleven six tells us that it was Joab. Verse 9 and 10, David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. He built up uh, the city, became great, for the Lord was with him, it says. Mark that well. You will become great if the Lord is with you. As long as you are with the Lord, He'll be with you. And when you leave the Lord, He will not be with you. Very, very clear in Scripture. He was strong until he trusted in his own flesh, the Scripture says. Until he trusted in himself. Verse 11, David was sent messengers from king of Tyre, the craftsmen, to build him a house. And so in verse 12, David knew that God had established him as king and exalted his kingdom for the sake of the people of Israel. Mark that well, verse 12. For the sake of the people. Not because David was so good. Not because he wanted to make David rich. Whatever God gives, he gives for the sake of the people. God helped those ministers that just enriched themselves. They don't use that for the kingdom of God. God helped them. They start thinking that they really deserve, that they're really that good, they're really, you know, deserving of all that. They deserve hell. And God will judge those. And so verse 13 through 16, David then took more concubines. And he had 11 other children. Now can you see a problem arising here? Why would any man want to have more than one wife is beyond me. It's like wanting to have two brains. Or two tongues. You've got to be crazy. Now, I'm not putting on the woman. I'm putting on the man. He's got to have brain damage. That's hard enough to keep one woman happy. Because remember, we don't think alike. We're not the same individuals. It takes an entire lifetime to learn about your wife or your husband. And to die to self. You don't need envy and jealousy in your own house that we'll see later on in the life of David. We already saw with Jacob, remember? Here, here's my love apple for tonight. I'll, I'll buy your husband off for you. He sleeps with me tonight. What happened when the children come? It must make a great Thanksgiving dinner, huh? Horrible. Now notice fourthly. Chapter 5, verse 17 to 25. Israel and David were opposed by the Philistines. And we'll just move through it quickly here. Verse 17 through 18. Their attack was due to David being anointed king. Verses 19 and 21. The mind of God was sought by David. And God said, go up. Gave him victory. A second attack, verses 22 and 25. David asks again. God says, don't go up. And he gives him the plan how to be victorious. Make sure you don't fall into patterns. Ask God every time, even if it's the same situation. He may say yes one time and no another. David was learning to depend upon God. Since God was the one who had given him the kingdom, God was the best one to make the decisions about the kingdom, right? Good principle. 
David was learning that any challenge by his enemies was a challenge of God and that God would defend him and fight for him. That's good. Fifth, chapter 6, verse 1 to 23. Israel and David sought out the ark. In verses 1 through 5, you're familiar with the passage. David sought the ark. The number was not small, 30,000. The ark had not been sought since the days of David. First Chronicles 13, 6 tells us. The reference to Baal, Judah there is Kirhath-Jerim in verse 2. You find that in First Chronicles 13, 6. And notice the name of God is the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. He dwells between the cherubims. You don't mess with God. He's never lost a battle. <laughs> Notice thirdly, verse 3 through 5. They set the ark on a new cart. Uzzah was the driver. He played instruments before the Lord also. This was the Philistine manner by which to transport it, not the way God told him to. And so in verses 6 through 11, David sinned in his method of transporting the ark. Verse 6 and 7, the ark appeared to shift. Uzzah attempted to secure it. God struck him dead. David became angry and called the place outburst against Uzzah in verse 8. David was sincere, but he was sincerely careless. David's carelessness was inexcusable. He was a Jew and he had the law. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day. He questioned how he could bring the ark back to him. So David deposited the ark in the house of Obadiah for three months and God began to bless him. Verse 10 and 11. Remember, the Levites were the only ones to carry it. Now notice in verses 12 through 15, David sought the ark a second time. And in verse 12, he was told of God's blessing on the house of Obadiah. So he inquired in the manner to transport it properly. And 1 Chronicles 15, 2, 11, and 13 tells that David told Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, that they had failed the first time by not doing the way God told them to. Only the Levites were to handle the ark. They were to be carried on the shoulders of the Kohathites, Numbers 4, 15 says. And so he accompanied the transportation and sacrifice and making this contrition there, verse 13. And in verse 14, he danced about whirling around wearing the linen ephod in verse 14. And then he and all of Israel brought the ark and rested there in celebration in verse 15. What a rejoicing time. Verses 16 through 19, David rejoiced in God. But in verse 16, Michael saw David through the window and despised him in her heart. Verse 17, David placed the ark in the tabernacle that he had erected. He put burnt offerings. And in verse 18 and 19, he blessed the people, distributed bread and meat. And then all of a sudden, verse 20 through 23, David is scorned by Michael, his wife. David blesses his own house in verse 20. And Michael derides him for conducting himself before the maids, uncovering himself. I love verse 21. David lashed out, telling her that God had chosen him instead of her father and appointed him over the people. For that reason, he played music before the Lord. And so in verse 22, David told Micah that he would in fact humble himself more if need be for God. And those women that he had disclosed himself to, the maids, and nothing indecent here is intended, that he would be honored more by them. Whoa. And so verse 23, David broke his conjugal responsibilities to Michael and never, never had children with her. Even kings have bad days. So we're no exception. Even when you're king, even when you're anointed, even when you are the ruler, sometimes more. Listen to this. There are no crown wearers in heaven that were not cross bearers here below. No crown bearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. Remember that. David's coronation was to serve the people. And so we have seen David's rise to the throne, which reveals these three things David's character, David's covenant. David's coronation. Good lessons in there. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, noting there's much we can learn from the example of David during his rise to leadership as the God-appointed king of the nation of Israel. Now, today's study is simply titled David Part 5 and is available on CD for just $4. And we'll be including everything shared the last time as well. So it makes a convenient way to study the message more in depth and at your own pace. The title to ask for once more is David Part 5. Or just mention today's date when you get in touch. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Next time, more on the intriguing life of King David as our character study series continues here on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com